0: What's going on everyone and welcome in to Plazon's podcast filled with glitchy analysis and freezing cold takes so icy cold that they're boiling hot. Today's podcast is proudly sponsored by Hungry Howie's Baton Rouge. Check out their online deals for carryout and delivery. They've got an amazing carryout deal for a large one topping pizza for just 7 dollars Thank you so much to Hungry Howie's Baton Rouge. And in today's show, we're going to talk about last night's news today. We've got Plisault's locks and of course, we're going to continue our list of the top 100 NBA players. And in last night's news today, we're going to start with Alabama basketball beating number 1 Houston. The Tide came into Houston and won 71 to 65. This was a revenge game for Alabama, and it's not because Alabama lost to Houston last year. It's because Alabama welcomed in Houston last year to Tuscaloosa. They beat Houston. Instead of being good sports about taking an L, Houston decided to throw an absolute fit. They ripped chairs apart. They threw trash. They destroyed the sidelines. There wasn't much of an apology after that game. It was extremely inappropriate, and the Tide had to come in and handle their business today appropriately. This is the first time that an AP Top 25 team has beaten two number one teams since Duke in 1965. You know, I've said this before, okay? I don't believe there is such thing as the best team in college basketball, all right? This was a number one team. Okay, according to the Associated Press, this is the best team in college basketball. But once again, I have not seen a single dominant college basketball team. I thought that Purdue could have been that, and they just now went into overtime with Nebraska. Okay, Dominant teams don't do that. When I think of a dominant team, I'm thinking of something like Alabama football in 2015, going 15-0, and and wiping the floor with everybody that they play. Now, obviously. Now, obviously, college basketball is different because you can't win every single game. There's only been one team to do that, and they didn't even finish off the season. They lost in the Elite Eight, and that's Kentucky in 2015 with Carl Anthony Towns. Okay. Now yes, they won the entire regular season, but that's one team the last, what, 35 years? It doesn't happen. I think that this is great for niche college basketball fans. So yeah, if you're a fan of Purdue, you love this style of not having like a dominant team that destroys everyone and makes college basketball kind of unwatchable because you know that when you when it comes down to it your team isn't going to be able to win. But overall, this is bad for the sport of college basketball. And I'm not talking about, you know, the competition aspect. I'm talking about the fan watching aspect. When you have dominant teams like the 2007 New England Patriots, like the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Golden State Warriors when LeBron James was there and Stephen Curry was there, when you've got the Alabama Crimson Tide winning all the time, the ratings go up. People like watching dominance. People like watching great teams play basketball. And when you don't have that one great team, your ratings are going to go down. I don't know what the college basketball ratings are, but I can almost guarantee you they're not nearly as high as they used to be. But as a niche fan of college basketball, I love where we're at right now. I love watching number one teams go down once a week. I love watching the top 10 shake up violently every week. This is phenomenal for me. So I hope that this continues. I hope that we don't see a dominant team in college basketball because it leaves so many questions to be answered and it makes me want to come back and continue to watch the sport. That being said, we're going to talk about now Odell Beckham Jr. Okay? He's had multiple meetings with teams over the last week and a half. He's met with the Dallas Cowboys and the New York Giants most notably. All right. Where will he sign? Okay? The Cowboys actually leaked information that they're worried that he has not recovered from his ACL tear from last year and that he won't be able to go until mid-January. Odell Beckham Jr. went on LeBron James's show, The Shop, a couple of days ago and said he doesn't even want to play in the regular season. He doesn't see a point. He just wants to play in the playoffs. Now, I mean, I get it. You know, when you have such a horrific knee injury and you've had other surgeries on your body over the last few years, You don't want to waste your time. I get it. But I think he's overplaying his hand. He is just a wide receiver. Teams don't need him as much as he thinks they need him. He's not that hot of a commodity. He is a now almost 30-year-old wide receiver. I think he is 30 years old. And he's coming off of an ACL tear after he's had multiple ankle surgeries. This isn't like Justin Jefferson in free agency. I don't think anybody is above being forgotten about by the NFL, especially a wide receiver. The only player that I could think of that is even remotely close to being like that is Antonio Brown. And guess what? He's been forgotten by the NFL. He's never coming back. This reminds me a lot of Dez Bryant when he got released by the Cowboys. He really thought that he was going to be able to talk all that trash and get back into the league. That's not how it works. Like I said, no one is above being forgotten. He's out of his prime, and he's a number 2 option at best. I don't even think that we're going to see Odell Beckham Jr. get signed this year. And if he does, it'll most likely be to the Dallas Cowboys or to the New York Giants. And last but not least, in our last night's news today, we have Caleb Williams winning the Heisman Trophy Award. This is not a surprise to me, but I loved watching those storylines last night. I think everybody enjoyed seeing what great young men were up for the Heisman this year. Now, that happens every year, but it's so entertaining to listen to their stories, to listen to their hardships, to hear from their parents. Personally, Caleb Williams' story is excellent. It's so cool. It's innovative, and it's new. Okay, He is a new transfer going into a new system with his coach, who he adores. I think this is awesome, and I can't wait to see what he does next year after performing so well to get this Heisman Trophy this year. I definitely see USC making the college football playoffs next year. All right, and now we're going to get into such a big part of this podcast, my favorite part of this podcast, and that is Plaisance Locks. All right, we are 29-10 and 10 on the year. 29-10, and 10, ladies and gentlemen. That's a hell of a start. Let's get into it first game Tennessee minus five and a half versus Maryland okay this is one of the most physical teams in the country when I'm and I'm talking about Tennessee okay they are a great second half team and they have dominant wins over USC and over number six Kansas. I don't see any kind of dominant win over a good team with Maryland. they have no good games against power five teams. Now, yes, they have some wins against Power 5 teams, but they're not top 25 teams. They're not winning teams. I think that Tennessee comes in and easily dominates this game. I think this line is closer than people expect because Maryland is 13 and Tennessee is 7. But I don't expect this game to be close. I think Tennessee will win it by more than 10. Tennessee minus 5.5. Book it. Next up, Jaguars versus Titans over 41. The Titans' defense got exposed last week. Okay, It's time to run the rock on the Tennessee Titans. The Eagles did it last week, and it was phenomenal. Okay? Running outside the tackles and spreading the field is just what the Titans don't want to see. But that being said, let's talk about the real offensive presence this game. Derrick Henry is going to abuse the Jaguars. And I mean it. I'm talking over 150 yards and three touchdowns. You can lock that in. I think the final score is going to be 31 to 27. I think that Tennessee covers its three and a half point spread. And I do think that this game hammers the over. Lock it in, baby. Next up, Eagles minus 7.5 versus the Giants. This Giants team doesn't have much more left in the tank. They're 1-3-1 in their last five. The Cowboys. And the Lions gave the blueprint to beating the Giants. And guess what? It's what the Eagles do best. Run the rock. It's going to be a chilly day today. Not freezing cold, but chilly. They're going to want to pound that rock all day long. I don't think the Giants have nearly the offense that people think that they do. Daniel Jones is not that guy. He's not that guy. I love Jalen Hurts in this game. I love A.J. Brown in this game. I think that they're going to pair for at least 75 yards together and a touchdown. I think that Miles Sanders is going to have a heck of a day. I think he and Jalen Hurts will rush for over 50 yards apiece. And I just don't buy that this New York team is going to be able to stay competitive. Eagles minus 7.5. Last but not least on on slots. That's right. We've got a quadruple play today. We're going foe, foe, foe. Call me Wendy's. Seattle minus 4 versus the Panthers. Okay. There's too much drama in Carolina. Baker Mayfield getting released, winning a game with the Rams, everybody calling out Carolina. They fired their head coach. They've had a quarterback carousel. Sam Darnold's now playing, PJ Johnson was playing earlier this year, Baker Mayfield was playing earlier this year. I don't I don't buy this Panthers team. They have a decent defense. Yes. But guess who's got a better offense? Geno Smith, a top 10 quarterback in the league this year, playing out of his mind. I think Seattle will run away with this game early. I think that they're going to absolutely take the top off of this Panthers defense with Tyler Lockett and D.K. Metcalf, and then they're going to spend the game late pounding the rock and wasting time. Seattle minus four is probably the best play of today. I love it. Is not responsible for losing locks. Please gamble responsibly. And now we're going to get into our top 100 NBA players list. Number 95, Paul Arzin. Okay. Now, this is an absolute throwback. This man was a dominant player in the 1950s. Okay. We're not talking 1970s, 80s, 90s. Really not that competitive of a league back then. However, I can't knock him that much. He's got to make the top 100, 10-time All-Star, All-Star Game MVP, three-time All-NBA First Team, two-time scoring champion, and most notably, an NBA champion, all right? This man averaged 22.8 points per game, eight rebounds a game, on 42% shooting, playing 38 minutes a game. He played for the Philadelphia Warriors from 1950 to 1962, that's. They eventually went to San Francisco, but during that time, he dominated the East Coast. You have to appreciate his game. He's not notable for much else other than just being a dominant small forward. Give all the credit to him for dominating in his time. He probably would have been a good player in other eras, but this was his time. Number 95, Paul Arzin. And that's going to do it today for Plazon's podcast. Thank you all so much for tuning in, and we'll see you tomorrow.